You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell finishes his series on inputs and outputs. In this final recording, he asks his radio audience if they have haters in their lives. He explores how we deal with haters. Linnell also asks if we have self-hate in our lives. Are we our number one hater? Often we're focused on other haters that we forget to look at ourselves. Let's join the conversation. Tonight, I want to continue to look at this whole phenomenon of inputs and outputs and how they impact us, but in a very different way. Because I know that many of us are taking the inputs from our haters. All right. So are you taking inputs from your haters? That's the question. Are you storing old information in your mind that translates to hate whenever you try to get ahead, you try to get some traction in your life? Because our enemies can only be our enemies. That's all they can really be. Any power that they have to hurt us mentally, to hurt us internally, must be given by us freely. We have to give them that power. Otherwise, an enemy is simply an enemy. Now, you fast forward, I'm sorry, rewind, you know, maybe uh, four or five centuries ago, and an enemy probably could do a lot more to you, right? Well, maybe just a century ago, you know, or a century and a half ago with the wild, wild west. You know, if they were carrying a six-shooter, they could do quite a bit to you. But nowadays, our enemies, for the most part, right? I would say for the most part. You still got a few knuckleheads out here. But for the most part, your enemy can't do much to you other than hate on you. And so most of the power lies with you in how you translate and interpret that hate. So tonight I'm asking these two questions. You know, got haters in your life? That's one of them. You know, so how do we deal with that? And uh, I I have a number of ways that I'll be sharing later. And then the second question is, got self-hate in your life? Because I think sometimes we're so focused on the external haters, we forget that we tend to hate on ourselves more than anybody else. All right. So this is part three of Inputs, Outputs. And if you remember, the original question I asked was, do our inputs predict our outputs, thus predicting the probability of our success? And tonight, I want to take this topic just a little bit further. And like I said, and how we translate those unwanted inputs. How do we translate an unwanted input to actually make it beneficial? Because if the brain acts like a computer, you know, then it's only as good as the information we upload. But we also have the choice of decoding or recoding the information we upload to be completely beneficial. And and that takes a great deal of emotional intelligence, but it can be done. So check this out again. Our topic in question tonight, this is inputs, outputs, part three. And the questions are got haters in your life? 
And number two, are you your number one hater? And join the conversation. Give me your thoughts. Give me a call. If you want to, you know, keep up with tonight's topics or check them out, get a head start, you can do that on www.inspirationalperspective.com. And the titles of some of the things I'll cover is one of the posts is Who is Your Worst Enemy? Another one is Never Let Anyone Tell You What You Cannot Do. Can't wait to talk about that. And then Seven Ways Haters Can Actually Help You. (laughs) That should be a good one. And then, you know, again, if we have time, I know I missed it last week. I actually been missing this one for the last three weeks. But uh, typically we get phone calls towards the end. But uh, I think this is going to be more beneficial than ever this week. A lesson on belief and it's taking a look at the life of Muhammad Ali. And I think it's perfect, you know, to follow up with haters because nobody had more haters than uh, Mr. Muhammad Ali. So we'll end the show with that if we have time. Okay. And again, go out to the website, check it out, subscribe, www.inspirationalperspective.com. All right. Got haters in your life? And are you your number one hater? So there's a lot of directions I can go tonight with this topic. But the first place, you know, I was, uh, I think it was sometime last year. I asked my listening, listening audience the question, are you a winner? That was the theme and the topic of the show. Are you a winner? And during the show, I discussed the qualities of an individual with a winning mentality, right? Because we've been talking about inputs, outputs, and uh, you cannot be a winner unless you are a winner in your mind. And so towards the end of the show, got a phone call from a gentleman. And he revealed that, you know, over the last 10 years, he had been losing in life. And he shared, you know, a number of his losses. Some of his losses were related to relationships. He talked about finance and how he, had, you know, made some mistakes in his career. Uh, he talked a little bit about drug abuse and how that played a role in his losing streak. And during our conversation, he explained how the Inspirational Perspective radio show had helped him resolve and turn around some areas in his life. And while sharing some of the steps, he was sharing some of the steps that he had taken to get his life back on track. And he made this statement that captivated me. And I thought it was truly, it was very inspiring. And what he said was, I am working on the inner me so that I do not become an enemy of me. And I remember that evening, because at first I didn't hear what he said clearly. And, and once I finally figured out, somebody hit me on Facebook, said, hey, this is what he said. And when I finally figured out what he said, as you know, I do a lot of thinking on the way home. Right. And so I was driving home from the studio and, you know, I kept thinking about what he said. And, you know, I began to realize that all too often we focus our attention on the exterior presence while completely neglecting our inner being. I mean, think about this. You know, the amount of time that we take to groom and take care of ourselves, the hygiene that we go through, typically is because there's some external performance factor that is measured by others. It has nothing to, you know, it has some to do with us, but often we're doing it because it's measured by others. And so we spend a lot of time on the exterior But as a result, we spend very little time on the interior. 
because it's a little more difficult, a little more slippery for someone to actually be able to tell what's going on on the inside by looking out at the outside. So they say, and I say that because it's my belief that our exterior is a clear representation of what we give and how we care for the interior. And, you know, there's a lot that can be hidden, right? But typically, we know what the exterior looks like naked. And so we know what we're hiding. And typically what we're hiding has a lot to do with the attention that we give the interior. All right. But I think you guys get where I'm going because we give a lot of mental energy to identifying our external enemies. Right. And same thing. I mean, so you take this away from us and project it onto others. We give a lot of mental energy to identifying our external enemies when the real focus should be on the inner enemy, which is our worst enemy. In previous shows, I shared how, you know, I'm the hardest person I've ever had to leave. I, you know, I think I kind of made a quip about this, about how I can be my own worst enemy. And, uh, you know, what is it that causes such a lack of internal integrity that we become completely disconnected with our internal state of being? I mean, completely disconnected. You know, how does one begin to measure the state of their internal being? And I'm sure I'm, I'm getting, you know, some of you guys are thinking to yourself, all right, Linnell, where, where exactly are you going? Well, in my opinion, the measurement of a person's internal state of being is reflected in their attitude towards life. All right. And again, remember what I said earlier. You know, often we think that what we project externally completely covers what's going on internally but there's always evidence. There's always some evidence. And typically the place where you can find evidence very easily is in an individual's attitude. You know, so here's a question. How do you see the world around you? How would you rate the environment around you? Because if you take a moment to think about this, you know, typically how we see things is, well, a reflection of our attitude. Now, what if I told you that how you rate and see the world around you is basically a merciless mirror that is reflecting the status of your attitude? Yeah, it's something to think about because typically the optimist, well, that's, you know, they see the world, you know, as we say, through rose-colored glasses and maybe not necessarily realistic, but that has a lot to do with their attitude as well. And guess what? We get to create our space. We get to create our environment. And as a result of that, we get to create the world that we live in. Thus, often we create our own haters. We create them. We can't control circumstance, but we can control the attitude in which we choose to approach the circumstance. So how have you been choosing to approach circumstance lately? You know, because we all have a choice. And so I'll let you all sit with that. And, you know, I'm going to get to the external haters, but, you know, I got to talk about what we do to ourselves first before I get to the external haters. That's the part that you guys, you know, probably waiting for and you're going to like, but you got to wait to the bottom of the hour before we get to that. All right. So I'm going to stay on this, this idea of self-hate 
this, uh, you know, being your own hater, being the person that tells you that, you know, you tell yourself all the poor or bad things or the things that you can't do. Or if you're not the one telling, you're quick to accept it. You're quick to let it into your interior. About a year ago, I got a call from a friend of mine and actually wrote about this in a blog because it was, you know, it made that kind of impression on me. But she was really upset. I mean, terribly upset about a conversation she had just had with an esteemed and longtime mentor. And during the conversation with her mentor, she revealed a deep dream or an aspiration that she had to which her mentor basically said, uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I think I, I talked a little bit about this before. And so after listening to, you know, her event, her frustrations for a while, I just calmly told her, hey, look, never let anyone tell you what you cannot do. And I can say that with confidence because I can tell you all there is a whole lot I've been told that I cannot do. And if I had listened, then you would not hear my voice right now. I would not be living the life I'm living right now, and nor would I, I hold the positions or be the man that I am. If I had let everybody who told me that I could not do something actually predict the outcome of my future. I was told that quite often. I can remember specifically being told when I first entered the workforce that I would never be a leader because I didn't have what it took to communicate or articulate what it was that I needed to say to get an idea across or to be able to influence. Even the things that I knew how to do well, I couldn't necessarily uh, articulate. And it took a lot of work. It took a whole lot of work. But I can tell you this much. One of the things that fueled me was when someone said, oh, well, you won't be able to do that or you cannot do that. In particular, it's funny, you know, it's hilarious that I'm on the radio because, you know, I didn't articulate my words, enunciate my words and in no way as eloquent as I did back when I was 21 years old, 20, 21 years old, 22 years old, just getting into the workforce. This has come with a lot of practice. And, you know, one of the things I haven't shared with you guys is when I realized that I did not communicate well, I would sit at home and watch news anchors basically go over the news and I would repeat everything they said. I basically taught myself how to speak in an articulate manner, how to say the words that I needed to say correctly. And then also I trained my brain and my mouth how to connect. And so what I was thinking could actually come out of my mouth the way I was thinking it because I didn't have that ability as a young man. And part of the reason I did that is because I was told that I would never be a strong communicator. So anyway, this friend of mine was told that she couldn't do something. And what I found is, in my experience, most people don't tell, you know, a family member, a friend, a client, a mentee, a child that they cannot do something to be malicious. They don't they don't do that. Typically, it's because the topic or goal being discussed is outside of their comfort zone. It's outside of their comfort zone or it's outside of their own realm of desire or it's outside of their understanding and experience. And because it's outside of that and they've never seen this thing done before, 
they immediately project on to someone, especially if they perceive them as inferior, and say, well, you, you won't be able to do that. You won't be able to do that at all. And so sometimes it's simply something the mentor or the individual who's saying it, they haven't been successful at attaining or actually doing that thing themselves. And so they're pushing and they're projecting. And, you know, it's interesting because friends, family members, mentors can hate, too. And it's, you know, it's important to remember that. So, again, don't let anyone convince you of what you cannot do. You know, don't let that happen. I don't even know how I got on that. But, you know, haters don't always tell you what you can't do because they want to see you fail trying. And so it's interesting because, you know, this hate can come from the friendly side. And they may not even know that they're pushing it on you. And so it's important for you to stand strong enough in your goals, your aspirations, your dreams to the extent where when it shows up, you don't get caught in it. You're able to basically deflect and keep moving. Because, you know, I don't think, you know, sometimes parents, they don't realize that they're setting almost like invisible boundaries for, you know, for their children. Because, you know, if you have parents who are doing well, they have a nice home, they have a nice car, then as a child, you go after that. And when you get it, there's almost an invisible fence where, okay, that's as much as you can do. And often I think that's why some of us go to work day in, day out. We're not satisfied. Um, And we're like, man, I did everything I thought I wanted to do, but something's missing. Well, probably because you should have kept pushing and creating even more of a legacy than what your parents created for you. But without them even saying it, we kind of put the invisible fence up ourselves. And so I don't know why I said that either, but I guess somebody needs to hear it. All right. So let's transition real quick. I want to talk about or have the conversation of the seven ways haters can actually help you. Seven ways haters can actually help you. And this is how it basically went down. So a few weeks ago, I spoke to a group of children in elementary and middle school at Governor State University. And at one point in my talk, I began to share a story from my youth. And I was talking about when I was their age, you know, I had a speech impediment. I had to go to speech therapy, et cetera. And, and, you know, I was just letting them know now I'm here in front of you. I'm talking. But anyway, I asked the kids if they had any haters in their lives. Now, mind you, this is a group of you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds, okay? And so it was a stretch, but, you know, I figured, hey, you know, I'm I'm sure they know the vernacular. Let me see if, you know, how they respond. And they responded, I mean, I was surprised by how they responded because when I asked the question, some of them actually jumped to their feet and were like, yes! I mean, you know, kind of shouted out, yes! And uh, I I started chuckling because... It, came, it became really clear to me that no matter how old you are, no matter what gender, what race, it was a, a fairly diverse group of children, you will always have a few haters, right? And some of the kids were looking around the room like, that's my hater right there, <laughs> right? But you'll always have a few haters. And everything you do is hate-worthy to your fiercest hater, okay? Everything you do is hate-worthy. And to hate the hater has to talk or type about what you're doing, right? So in order for them to hate, I mean, they have to take some action. 
And I think sometimes we don't realize, and I'm going to get into the seven ways haters actually help you, but this is not one of the seven. I don't think sometimes we realize in order to have haters, that means that you have power. You have power because in order for somebody to camp out and to say, I am going to react to everything that you say means that you are sending a tremendous ripple effect into the universe to the point where this person reacts every time you do something. And to me, that's inspiring. Okay, (laughs) so if I can do something that is actually making another person have an immediate reaction, whether negative or positive, that means that I'm emitting a great deal of power and that's recognizable. Okay, Uh, so another way just to look at hate, but. The haters lens is typically negative, right? So they rarely can distinguish things that could be considered positive. Everything they're looking at that you do, they're trying to find the negative aspect of it. And so number one to, well, let me, I skipped a little bit. All right. I skipped a little bit. Since having haters is a harsh reality of life, especially for anyone trying to differentiate themselves I wanted to share these, the top seven ways haters can actually help you. All right. All right. Now I'm going to go into number one. Okay. Haters may spread bad news about you, but they often inadvertently spread good news too. All right. So this is the first way that haters can actually help you. Cause uh, you know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with my brother and this is a little bit after I first started the show. Okay. And I was telling him, I'm like, man, I'm surprised at how many people listen, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, because it's tough when you're on the radio. You know, you're not really sure who's listening, who's not, who's actually out there. And so you start getting feedback. And uh, my brother was quick to tell me, he said, look, that's that's the people who are out here to support you. He said, your haters will never tell you that they're listening until you mess up. And they'll be the first ones to say, well, that show didn't go so well now, did it? <laughs> and I didn't think about that, you know. And so typically the haters are helping you and they don't even know it because, you know, the more people that are listening to the show, you know, the better the ratings. Right. Whether they're haters or not. <laughs> I mean, that's real. So anyway, number one is haters may spread bad news about you, but they often inadvertently spread good news, too. Because, like I said, everything you do is hate worthy to your fiercest hater. And to hate the hater has to talk or type about anything that you're doing. All right. Number two. Number two. A hater's presence counts, too. And I think I just referred to this. But, you know, let's say you're performing in a play. You know, just smile when you see the haters in the audience. Because whether they know it or not, they're helping you get credit for a sold out theater. You know, write a blog, launch a website, you know, just do something. But, you know, when the haters go to your website, you know, that traffic counts, too. You know, when you start getting sponsorship and advertising, that traffic that they go on to look at what you're doing so they can say something bad about it. That traffic counts, too. And so, again, another way that a hater can help you. It's really about figuring out how to make, you know, hateration benefit you. (laughs) All right. So that's that's number two. Number three, haters offer their direct critique for free. Now, check this out, because your trusted friends may not have the courage to share 
really critical feedback with you. You know, they might not have the courage to tell you, like, hey, you know what? You know, that show was awful. And there were a lot of things you could have done differently, Linnell. But what I can count on is that a hater will. And they'll point out what could be done better. Because while a hater can often say things with the purpose of discouraging you, they often pay closer attention to what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong than your close friends do. So don't be so quick to dismiss everything a hater may say about you. And this is where emotional intelligence comes in. You know, you got to chew on everything that's coming your way because their critiques could serve as a useful feedback channel that would maybe make the hater cringe if they knew it was actually helping you. Now, this is a tough one, but I'll tell you, you know, often we say, I learned how to be a good leader from my bad leaders. You know, like I had a leader that was so awful, I learned what not to do when I got the opportunity to lead. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. You know, often haters can help you in a way that they don't even know they're helping you. All right, number four. Having a hater proves that you are somebody because it is impossible to hate on a nobody. You know, a nobody can't get hated on. And so just keep in mind, you know, the more people pushing negativity your way, the more significant you should feel. Instead of it tearing you down, use it as something to tear you up. All right. Enough said there. Because, again, you know, it's impossible to hate on nobody. All right. Number five. You can use the haters as steam to power your dreams. Now, I wish I could take all the credit for that one, but actually that comes from someone else who's hated on quite a bit, Kanye West. (laughs) And that comes from, uh, I lifted and kind of recomposed this some years ago after hearing the lyric in his song, Last Call. And in Last Call, what he said is, now I could let these dream killers kill my self-esteem or use my arrogance as esteem to power my dreams. And I kind of rewrote And, you know, it fit the lyric to me. And what I say is now I could let these haters kill my self-esteem or use them as steam to power my dreams. And again, like I said, you know, somebody's hating, pushing negativity on everything I do. Well, that means that I have power over them. Right. I can basically predict their reactions. And so instead of feeling bad about what they're doing, I use it as a way to feel good. All right. Number six, your haters are obsessed with your success. I mean, they're obsessed with it. Thus, you can measure your success by how many haters you accumulate. I mean, because typically the more successful you are, the more haters come with that. All right. And so the more you do and the higher you go, the more you're exposed to haters who will take cheap shots from the cheap seats. Now, what do I mean by that? I actually stole that from I heard Brene Brown speak once. And what she was talking about is, uh, if you don't know who she is, you really should Google her. She has a wonderful talk on vulnerability. And what she said is when she, you know, she's a fairly shy person and she did a TED talk and that kind of pushed her towards fame and notoriety overnight. Okay, and what she said is she was horrified at the I guess the horrible things that people said, you know, to her via the Internet. And the Internet has created this tool. Where now, you know, somebody can dip in and say something really bogus and just disappear. 
<laughs> I mean, you don't know who they are. They only have a profile picture or it comes up anonymous. So they got, you know, ZYJJ as their as their name. And they just say something real foul and bogus. And believe me, I, it's happened to me. OK, I've gotten inboxed with somebody saying something real wild. And that's basically somebody talking from the cheap seats. OK, they weigh up high, way far away. And they're just basically yelling. They're yelling noise. And, you know, so what are you going to do with that? Are you going to let it seep into your spirit and begin to discourage you? Or is it just an indication that, hey, you know what? You know, people care about what I'm doing. How cool is that? You know, you get to you get to decide. But you can be for sure. Once you begin going after whatever it is that you're dreaming about, whatever your goals are, and you begin mobilizing and creating that ripple effect that I've talked about before, you know, people are going to basically buy seats in the 300s and 400s, the cheap seats, and they will shoot things at you. And you got to be cool with it. Don't let an abundance of criticism slow you down and discourage you, is what I'm basically saying. Just keep in mind that an exponential growth in hate is often the consequence of an exponential growth in your success. All right. And, and to the young people who are listening, this cyberbullying, you know, somebody texting you or Facebooking you or tweeting you saying things about you, you know, keep in mind that they got their mind on you. And so you must be doing something right. For them to be sitting at home, you know, trying to figure out how to say something to you to bring you down. And so every time you get one of those things, just remember, OK, you must be pretty important for them to take time out of their evening to shoot something at you. And instead of it, you know, hurting your feelings or getting you upset, use it as a, a tool to inspire you and to let you know that you must be doing the right thing. You know, somebody and you get this all the time. Oh, you must think you look good. You know, well, <laughs> if that's the way you opened it, I must be looking good. I must be looking good. I must be smelling good. I must have done something right. Because whatever comes out your mouth next is, to, you know, to try to create a sense of uh, basically discouragement about how I'm showing up. OK, number seven. Having a hater means you must be doing something right. I think I said that already. I know this one is simple. Haters like controversy. And so if you're falling, well, if you're falling, if you're failing, if you're just basically dropping the ball and completely off track, you won't need a hater to tell you that. All right. Your family and friends will tell you with all the love they have. And typically the haters just sit back and watch, <laughs> you know, so. There you go. Seven ways that haters can actually help you. So, you know, I want to know, how are you translating hate? And do you believe in yourself? Again, this is inputs, outputs, part three. So just something, you know, a different way of considering how we take the inputs and outputs. Now, I could go through these again and begin to talk about self-hate, right? Because almost in every one of them, there's an aspect of what we do to ourselves internally and how we think. And so what I will say is this. Before you can become adept at 
blocking or creating a barrier against what people are pushing at you on the outside, you have got to really fortify your mind on the inside against yourself. Because again, your worst enemy can be you. Before anybody even hears about the wonderful idea you have, before anybody can hear about the dream or the goal, typically there's something inside of self that's already shutting it down, saying, nope, that's, uh, you know, that's not something you want to do. And in coaching, we call it the survival mechanism. You know, the survival me- mechanism is really there to keep you at status quo because status quo is safe. Whether you like it or not, whether you're, you know, you're encouraged about it or not, getting up and going to work every day seems safe to your survival mechanism. And so as soon as you begin thinking outside the box, coming up with ideas that are going to push you to the next level, a lot of times it's self that will completely jump in the way and say, "Uh uh-uh, nah, you can't do that. You know, why are you even fooling yourself into thinking that that's something that you can do? Because... You know, that's just how the survival mechanism works. The comfort zone, you know, basically our fears are protected. You know, you can think about it as a fence around us as long as we stay within our comfort zone. And so when you begin to do things that push you outside your comfort zone, that's why your body has, you know, that biological reaction of sweating, adrenaline rush. You know, you don't have to run away from a dinosaur or a tiger. You're just standing in front of a crowd about to express an idea. And all of a sudden, you know, your body betrays you. Why? Because your survival mechanism wants to keep you at status quo. It doesn't want you to go to the next level. All right. But I got Gino here. Gino, how you doing, brother? Hey, how you doing? I'm enjoying the show. It's an amazing topic. I was talking with a, a young man I know now. He had a level of success and... He had come to me, he confided in me about some of the flack that he was getting concerning his level of success. Mm-hmm. And so I basically told him that I guess to a degree you've become so relevant to them that now you're living rent-free in their heads. Yeah. And, <laughs> and as, uh, as uh, uh, Les Brown's uh, high school teacher told him once, don't let someone's opinion of you become your reality. Yeah. I said, because the bottom line is, if you weren't at that level of success that you're at, they really wouldn't have anything to say. Mm-mm. And we, we know what, you when, know, when they, sometimes they would. To, they would. They would. They, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, even, in, even in simple things, is mm-hmm. uh, I've seen people, Linnell, just simple. They, they work a lot of overtime on their jobs, and maybe they get all this extra pay. And people get mad at them for working overtime. Mm-hmm. Oh, when you're trying to make all the money, you know, why are you here so much? I mean, just, just that, that's how people are. Oh, yeah. And it's unfortunate, I believe, that one of the major reasons why is because as individuals, one study has shown that our self-talk is 80% negative. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking about my own self, 80% negative, what do I have for you? Exactly. Well, probably not something uh, that's going to be positive and uplifting. Yeah, because I can imagine people who I know that know you, some people I don't know that know you, I can imagine some of the, the hate mail, so to speak, you've received over a period of time. But apparently, it, I guess, you, like you said, just use it as fuel to uh, elevate even further. 
Well, I mean, and, that's uh, what that's you... That's something I've learned to do. That's what you have to do. And, 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 I, and I tell you that... Uh, you know, for every, you know, piece of negative mail, there's always someone else who's saying you know, something positive or just saying, hey, keep it up. You know, this has changed my life. I enjoy what you're doing. And so, it, it, you know, it neutralizes it. It completely neutralizes it. And I keep in mind, you know, to this point, Gino, if I weren't doing what I'm doing or if I had been failing in life, you know, somebody would have something to say about that. You know, I, I thought that Harris boy would do better than he did. Exactly. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you, you know, you, well, you can't, you know, either way, other people's opinions, you have to wear them loosely, good and bad. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll I, I leave you with this. I heard one, somebody said, you know, we want the rainbow, but we don't want to deal with the rain. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, That's the truth. I wish you well. Continue success, young man. All right. Thanks so much, you know. Appreciate the phone call. This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.